This one here that we're gonna play this is, like, is like stupid new, all right? <laughs> Just stupid new. <laughs> We're just gonna play it because what the hell, why not, right? Right. You guys wanna hear a stupid ass new song, right? Yeah! Cool. It's a And we 
and acts like we come from out of this world Leave the real one far behind The night is young and so am I And we can dress real neat from our hats to our feet And surprise them with a victory cry I said, we can act if we want to If we don't, nobody will And you can act real rude and totally removed And I can act like an imbecile Saying, we can dance, we can dance Everything's under control We can dance, we can dance Doing it wall to wall We can dance Everybody look at your hands We can dance, we can dance Everybody's taking a chance Oh, it's a safe dance 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 general shit that you shouldn't be letting your kids intake. Be advised, viewer discretion is recommended. Proceed at your own risk. You've been warned. If it's Thursday, it's I'm No Joe. 
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of appropriate ages, to the latest episode of the I'm No Joe podcast, a show where, as of today, you can dig entirely through the archives and will not find one incident of us dropping the end bomb. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. It's Thursday. You know what we do. You know what we're here for. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate each and every one of you. Today, as like most days, I have got Golf Tea here with me to break down the shit-talking and shenanigans we have got in store for you fine folks for this weekend. We may even have a kid sighting later. I have heard rumors. I cannot confirm. Just saying there's a possibility, but we can't hold our breath just yet. Uh, that being said, how the fuck are you doing over there, Golf Tea? I'm fucking doing excellent. Little wrecked, but well worth it today. Spent yeah. almost four hours in total in the Dave and Busters. Just got home a little bit ago, put the boy to bed. Nice. Fucking kid had a blast. It was fucking awesome. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Ready to talk kicky punchies. To be quite honest, I'm more ready to talk about last week than I am what's coming up this week. With the yeah. exception of a few things, because there are a few on this card that I find interesting. And some that just have to be mentioned, um, Warthog, <clears throat> A-10 type variety. Right. I'm just saying. Uh, um, no, so. that, that's exactly why I named the episode what I did, because technically speaking, there are fights this weekend. None of the cards out there are great, but collectively, there are fights to be watched this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's a few that are worth mentioning, and some that I will call honorable mentions and for those of you listening right. on the podcast friday there were air quotes there when i said that it was uh, right so that way you're aware it's uh, a little facetious in the way i'm calling them honorable mentions yeah no we've, we've got three actual fight cards taking place this weekend and not a one of them is even a decent card top to bottom that's why i said collectively they might be able to build one total card out of all of the cards from this weekend available if you smush them into one I'm just saying, we could see some felony type shit happen this weekend if somebody brings a bat to a fucking ring. That's all I'm saying. There, there is a possibility it could get real WWE, but we'll get into that in just a little bit. Um, as we do around here, sometimes uh, we did not get a chance to do a recap this weekend because holy shit, this weekend was insane. Uh, so I do want to take this moment here to start off with a little bit of a recap for those of you who might not have seen or heard about the fucking insanity that was UFC 271 last weekend. Um, to start out with, William Knight made the largest weight miss in UFC history, stepping on the scale 13 and a half pounds over. Um, ironically enough, uh, they accepted the fight with a 40% purse reduction. Uh, and then it went on to show that uh, that weight miss did not help him in the slightest because Maxim Grisham pretty much had his way with him for the entirety of three very solid, pretty one-sided rounds. So um, big oof. Um, the reason I say ironically that they took this as a uh, a 40% person then moved the fight up to a quote-unquote catchweight is because uh, one other person on this card missed weight Friday, uh, that being Alex Perez, who missed by a pound and a half yeah, um, with the allotted half or the allotted pound. Uh, he was a pound and a half over. Um, 
Matt Schnell, despite talking all that shit in the press run-up, literally telling people, don't worry about whether I think fighters should get more pay or not, just buy the goddamn pay-per-view and we don't have to have this discussion. He gets the option. He declines to take the fight. This being the fourth fucking time they booked that fucking fight. And we talked about that. The fourth fucking time they have booked that fight. Alex Perez misses weight by a pound and a half. Matt Schnell declines to take the fight. This coming on the heels of William Knight missing by 12 fucking pounds. Maxim Grisham not only took the fight, he still won the goddamn fight. Perez misses by pound and a half, almost two fucking pounds. Schnell won't take the fight after all the shit that he talked in the lead up. You know what that sounds like? That was all a whole bunch of bolstering because he is fucking scared. A whole bunch look. of this number. Those of you listening, just a bunch of chest beating, trying to look like Big King Kong, Billy Badass. And then when it came down to put money where your mouth this time, a pound and a half difference, then he won't handle it. But Grisham here with a literal dozen pounds is like, fuck you, bring it on and did work. I think the irony in that is he knew he was going to get part of his purse too and still didn't take it. And it's a pound and a fucking half. Okay, look, I'm all about fighters making weight. I get it. Look, every once in a while, some weird random shit happens where you miss by a pound, maybe two. Okay, I write it off. Perez hasn't missed weight before. He hasn't had that kind of issue. So this, I will consider a one-off issue. Something fucking went awry. Didn't work out quite the way it was supposed to. Whatever math they did didn't come up with the even numbers and whatever the fuck it was. But still, pound and a half, and you're going to bitch out on a pound and a half? Look, you're going to balloon up 20 pounds too, and so is he. So at the same point, it still would have been a pound and a half difference regardless because you would have both ballooned up overnight between eating and then piss-pounding Pedialyte or fucking your choice of rehydration beverage, you know? But, you know, eh, be a bitch if you want to be a bitch. Talk all that shit. Well, let's not talk about people. How about, yeah, how about uh, let's talk about fighter pay and why bitches like you are afraid to get paid when they have the chance. Right. When you had the opportunity to just make a simple fucking statement, you chose to be an asshole for no reason and then literally couldn't back up when you had the greatest chance ever to emphasize your point publicly with a giant pay-per-view megaphone. And you yeah. bitched out. Bye, Felicia. Enjoy Bellator. Yeah. Just people who decline fights on a pound and a half, Dana does not take a liking to. And guess what? Maxim Grishin, on the other hand, that dude going to get a fuck ton of props. Pretty much going to be able to have a pretty good leverage there to bargain for what he wants now. Because yeah, you know he'll what? have favor privilege for sure. Yeah, because fuck it. I'll fight whoever, whenever, no matter how fat they are. Overweight. Wait, miss, don't give a shit. We're still fucking going and doing work. So, yeah, Grisham definitely in, in, indebted himself a little favor room from Dana right there in that breast pocket, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Good on him. Um, so now I gotta say to be fair, 
I try and make a point and harp on it over and over and over on this goddamn show, and I try and hold myself to the same standard. Credit where credit is due, regardless of how you feel. Despite us being excited about it and talking about it last week going into this, realistically, it was not even close to fair to take a professional kickboxer like Blood Diamond and let him make his debut against a collegiate wrestler like Jeremiah Wells. That's literally setting somebody behind the eight ball from the very start, just for fairness's sake. That being said, he was brought in or has been primarily his role in city kickboxing to be Adesanya's main sparring partner for the purpose or for one of the main reasons that his striking style is so unique that it even makes Izzy think and catches Izzy all the fucking time. And he's very open about that. That's one of the reasons Izzy loves him so much is that Blood Diamond style is so weird. It makes Stylebender freak out and get fucking hit. So it keeps him on his toes. Steel sharpens steel kind of thing. So I get that. But they did not work on his ground game. Yeah. You got to think when a dude is there because he's a great striking partner. Granted, I have no doubt that Eugene Barriman and those guys had him doing the wrestling drills with Izzy. The difference being Izzy has wrestled for a lot longer. He just didn't need to use it because his kicking or his striking rather is that superb. Blood Diamond did not have that genuine base wrestling fundamentals to work off of. He's just learning that on the fly now, transitioning into MMA from kickboxing. And it very much showed Um, he it, it's not like he went out there and just rolled over and gave up. But when it came down to a heated, very fairly, excuse me, early in the match uh, grappling exchange, he looked like a fish out of water. He looked like he had never done any type of genuine intense grappling anything more than like a slight role in the gym and jeremiah wells was able to sink in a very nice rnc that literally choked blood diamond unconscious because he's a fucking soldier and wouldn't tap and uh, look credit what credit's do good on you for that for going out on your fucking shield and you right. know if you're gonna go Fighting out on to your the shield, gym, yeah getting choked out is probably one of the safest ways to go out on your shit. Cause you're just going to wake up, feel like you took a little nap and be going to make sure you're good. Yeah. He didn't take a lot of damage in the fight. So, I mean, cause Jeremiah Wells wasn't going to hold a candle to his stand up, So it was a, it ended up being a heavily one-sided grappling match. But if we learned one thing again, it's you can bring somebody who is a great elite stand-up striker whether it be kickboxing boxing whatever and bring them into an mma world the person with the wrestling or jujitsu base is going to win that fight every single goddamn time yeah, uh i can't say much. every single time but for more often than not yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably about 90 to 95 percent of the time i would say, I would say high in for lines. sure yeah and the other thing it brings up is 
Now we know why blood diamonds are so fucking cheap. Did you know what? They're only one faceted. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's he only true. had one thing going for him, and that was that stand up striking. To be honest, I was really hoping to get a chance to see his striking just so that way we could really give it a judge versus watching Izzy talk it up. To be honest, still don't know what to think about his striking as far as MMA striking is concerned. Right, right. Which so, is not the same as the world that he came from because great as he might have been, kickboxing is literally just one tiny fragment of the puzzle that is MMA. So, Which is similar to the guy that they brought in to chase Adesanya who beat Adesanya in kickboxing. So, I mean, we've seen his stand-up. His stand-up looks fucking phenomenal, which is why he won his first fight. But we'll see when he gets put up against somebody who can actually fucking grapple. Same concept here. It's, you know, it's it's no different than going back to when Randy Couture fought fucking James Tooney. Like, fucking was that a decade ago? Yeah, no shit. They bring in a fucking boxer who's world-class and gets fucking steamrolled by a goddamn and I say this in the nicest way possible, a geriatric fucking Randy Couture at that point. Because I think Randy Couture was in his 50s at that point. I, yeah, I was to say, I think he was late 40s, if not early yeah, 50s. He was, yeah, he was late 40s, early 50s. And one of the few fighters in MMA that has made a legitimate career into the 50s and still fucking managed to fuck with people at that age. So, yeah. Definitely, I want to see Blood Diamond again. But I want them to give him like at least six months of good, solid groundwork training. Yeah. At least. Because look, if your stand up's that good, you don't need to work on that. You need to focus solely on the groundwork because obviously that's where these giant Swiss cheese holes are in your fucking game. So, I would even take it a step further than that. Um, I, I absolutely agree with that point. But even more than that, after all of the hype that all of his teammates have been giving him for what, two years, three years, almost four years now, wait till blood diamond gets here, wait till blood diamond gets here. Then he makes his UFC debut and gets choked unconscious. Aside from needing some to work on some things for sure. That's going to be a kick to the dick of his ego for sure. That's going to be a little bit of a mental bounce back as well. I think. You know, there is something that you did bring up last week when we were talking about the fights and we were texting back and forth about it. There is a, and it happened again. You were spot on with saying everybody who comes into city kickboxing on their first fucking fight in the UFC, they do absolutely fucking horrible. However, caveat to that statement is what we've seen from them after that first fucking terrible shit they start making a very quick incline back up the fucking ladder. And so they realize where those holes are and get, their team is obviously really good at fixing them. Cause then you get guys like fucking hooker in there who fix those holes and they go right back up the fucking ladder again. So right. we'll, um, we'll validate that point here in about three minutes as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause that that's up there too. So, I mean, there's plenty, there's plenty of that to be made, but when you said that, I was like, yeah, I noticed that. But then thinking about it afterwards, after everything was all said and done, I'm like, every one of those motherfuckers Almost that takes that L, yeah. they just start to do this. And it's either a really steady incline or it's a straight fucking rocket. Up, yeah, straight up trajectory. Yep. So they're definitely doing something right in that gym. 
the one thing they're not doing right in that gym is getting wins on their first entry into Prepa- yeah preparing them for the entry itself yeah no we 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 talked about this a couple times now for whatever reason those city kickboxing boys despite all the hype they get have such a fucking rough time making their debut but we we will absolutely touch back on that again here in just a moment because there they is a couple things come back nicely about. yeah i i want to talk about a couple things before we get back to that real quick um following that one unfortunately um Tuivasa's newfound wrestling buddy from Embedded <sighs> followed in the footsteps of uh, Blood Diamond. Um, to be fair, Silva de Andrade had his shit cracked wide the fuck open. He had a Liberty Bell gap in the side of his fucking face and it was dripping. It was dripping real fucking heavy. That Um, That thing was fucking spraying. It wasn't dripping. Yeah, no. Steady stream. He was painting some canvas. If that finish would have been the other way around, that blood cut off, you would have seen blood going. Yeah, it would have pinched and sprayed for sure. Similar to what was it, that fucking Aaron Pico fight in the fucking Bellator when he's got the dude in the rear naked and you can see it while he's just launched. Yeah. That's what that shit would have looked like because it was nasty. And I will say, just completely away from the fight itself, the UFC needs to get better cut men again because that cut man was fucking horrible. That fucker was still bleeding when he came back out into the second round. Like, to be honest... I'm surprised there wasn't a doctor stoppage because of that. The only thing that saved it is where the fucking cut was on his face. It wasn't directly in the line of his elbow. It was because it was at the end of his eyebrow and going outward towards his ear. Ran down. Yeah, Yeah, it ran down and away from his eye. Otherwise, they would have fucking stopped that fight. Yeah. No, it. that's credit to Morozov. Like, he put the fucking wrenches (laughs) <laughs> Silva de Andrade had him in big fucking trouble until uh, about three minutes, 12 seconds uh, of the second round where he threw one of the cleanest spinning shots that just completely caught Sergey off guard and dropped him to his ass. Didn't put him out, but it dropped him to his ass and stunned him just long enough that Andrade could grab him and wrap him up and just lock in one of the nastiest fucking rear nakeds you've seen in a hot goddamn minute to get poor Moreau's out of there via submission. Um, I'm not going to say he cursed himself by trying to wrestle with the big boys and then his mind was still stuck on Tuivasa, but uh, credit to silva de andrade for being a tough son of a bitch because like we said he got the entire fucking corner of his face cracked wide open a shitty cut man who couldn't put it together while he sat there perfectly still in the corner waiting for him to do his thing and then had to fucking with withstand the adversity and then time that fucking spinning shot and land right on top of him when he hit the ground to link that fucking rear naked in I, I generally have not been the the biggest fan of uh, Silva D'Andrade, especially since he cut the mullet. We all know how big that can be for your luck factor, and like it or not, that is a thing. Uh, but he continues to fucking get them Ws, and when he's knocking those fucking tally marks down one after another, 
eventually it doesn't matter how you feel about the guy. He's going to fucking start climbing that ladder in a serious fashion. So it's going to be interesting to see where they put him next after such a fucking big, you know, entertaining, exciting battle like that. Yeah, and a fucking hell of a comeback because he was literally getting his shit kicked in the first yes, round. he was. And you know what? <laughs> Albeit cutting off the mullet, which definitely not a fan of because we've seen what it does the other fighters. Maybe, just maybe, the way that this happened, maybe that was him breaking the cutoff of the mullet curse. Maybe. And I say maybe because we have to see at least one other fighter to confirm that the curse is broken and have that happen. Right. So, you know, I, I put it out there as it's it's plausible at this point. It's a data point, we could say at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we'll that's why I'm going with plausible. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but you know, it, it, it's a it's a possibility. Right. Right. Possibly. <laughs> so um from there. Uh, speaking of guys who had a fucking rough debut and needed to fucking get right on the back on the right track, uh, Jacob Malkoon, Robert Whitaker's main training partner, uh, did not fare so well when he made his entry into the UFC and was out to make a statement against AJ Dobson, who was making his debut into the UFC. Um, I tell you what, Dobson came out and had Malcoon in trouble a couple of different points in that fight, but Malcoon just absolutely wrestled AJ Dobson to death. Not wrestle fucked him, wrestled him, actually grappled, outworked, and moved and did, you know, aggressed, excuse me, advanced position was aggressive on the ground as well as on the feet. Just Absolutely outworked him everywhere. Definitely spoiled AJ Dobson's debut party for sure. Um, not probably not the best mismatch, but I understand why the UFC did it. I'll put it that way. Uh, from there, uh, we will jump to uh, the case in point for <clears throat> excuse me the the thing that we were talking about earlier the city kickboxing boys having rough debuts, but goddamn if they don't turn it around once they get their feet underneath him. Uh, Carlos Ulberg, Blackjack, uh, again, so much fucking hype from all of his city kickboxing teammates for so goddamn long, and then he finally gets his fucking UFC debut and trips over his own dick. <laughs> but Again, clearly went back to Berriman, checked his fucking ego in a locker, went back to the grind, polished up some of those fucking rough edges, came back this weekend and gave Fabio Chirant the fucking business. Just put it fucking on him start to finish. Um, he was disappointed he couldn't get to finish. I don't think there's anything to be disappointed about in that fight. Fabio Chirant isn't a fucking walk in the park. He's no world breaker either, but he's no walk in the park. He's a pretty resilient motherfucker and displayed that this weekend. But Oberg clearly won every fucking second of that fight, in my opinion. You know, this, this fight, yes, you get on the city kickboxers are showing that, yeah, you trip over your own shit and come back. 
Carlos Olberg is the one fighter from City Kickboxing that I cannot get behind. I just can't do it. The dude reminds me of fucking Luke Rockwald for some odd reason. And I can't stand that. I think part of that is the way that he carries himself while he's in the octagon and also the way that he carries himself outside of the octagon. He seems like a fucking Luke Rockhold cocksucker. And like I said, I don't know the guy well enough at this point to make a 100% decision, but I can't get behind him at this point because the way that it seems like he fights and the way that he presents himself in the octagon seems like a Luke Rockhold piece of shit. And to be honest, I'm not gonna lie. I was not rooting for city kickboxing on this one. I was pulling for Strant, and Strant looked like absolute dog shit. Dude can take a lot of punches, though. But man, tough, did he look like dog shit. shit. Yeah, tough as shit. But uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty I'm, fucking one-sided. My thought was, all right, you're a light heavyweight. You kind of act like Luke Rockhold. What happens if we put you against Polish power? Do I get, a, get watch you get knocked out like fucking Same. Rockhold? Don't talk about his feet. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm I, I'm just saying I would possibly really like that because you know there's something about him that just I don't know what it is about the dude, but I to, when I'm watching him fight, he reminds me exactly of fucking Luke Rockhold, and I can't stand that piece of shit. That dude is the epitome of oh well, I'm pretty, so I can be a cocksucker to whoever the fuck I want, and. He's got that, maybe that's the thing, is Carlos Olberg has that same kind of fucking, I can't call it swagger. It's like a cocksucker walk. He has that same kind of cocksucker walk. Carries himself in the same manner of douchebaggery. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. And look, I haven't seen enough of the guy to make 100% validation on that yet. So he'll he'll still get a pass for now, but there's something about that dude that just, God fucking irks the shit out of me already. And which means if it already irks me and we're I know we're gonna see more of him, it's probably only gonna get worse with time. <laughs> I was so. gonna say you know it's only gonna get worse. <laughs> it's gonna get to that point of a aluminum mic where fuck that guy too, you know. Right. Which uh, that guy's coming up later this evening, too. Right. No. Um moving on from there, uh just a quick mention here. Um it wasn't really mentioned on the broadcast. I didn't realize it till it was mentioned on a, uh, a review show uh, this week after, after the fact, but uh, apparently last year, sometime during the summer, Marcelo Rojo talked a whole bunch of like nuclear grade shit about Davis and Figueredo and his family on Twitter. Uh, one of those fuck you. I'm trying to stir the pot. And then delete all the tweets in a very Irish fashion, I guess we could say. Um, but uh, this backfired. Uh, this wasn't one of those people saw that he was trying to stir the pot. This was like the people of Brazil were like, fuck you, you fucking scumbag. And then in walks surf Jesus, Kyler Phillips, the savior of Brazil last weekend. Um, smooth smooth i will say like a younger smaller benson henderson kyler phillips was fucking smooth and made rojo pay for talking that stupid shit good god did he ever look that time off that kyler phillips got 
obviously did him some fucking good because he looked fucking fantastic. Like that extra, was he on fucking damn near a year? That that time away from the sport, he needed it, obviously. Because coming back, he was laser focused and there was not a goddamn thing Rojo could do to fucking just touch. He couldn't put a flame to the candle. Not at all. It, dude, Kyler, Kyler had him fucking smoked out from the beginning. And it was a beautiful display. It was just a beautiful all-around display of just a great mixed martial artist. Like, he did fantastic. To be honest, he keeps that road up. He's going to be at the top of that bantamweight division in no time fighting like yeah. that because that was fucking gorgeous. Well, and putting on performances like that, is exactly the reason why he's one of the first people I go to to use as an example to show that just because you get cut from the UFC roster doesn't mean your career is over. Take a little time off, polish your fucking edges up where you clearly obviously had issues, get back focused like you were when you first got towards the UFC and go at it again. If you're really focused and polished like you claim that you should have been in your time off it shows and when it shows they'll keep you right back in the fucking line and bring you right back in and welcome you with open arms like they have with kyler phillips hell yes master cut ain't the end of the world (laughs) not to mention that kind of performance they go hey how would you like to fight this fucking guy way up here yeah would you like a co-main event spot sometime in Maybe June? <laughs> Hell yeah. And to be honest, at that, I would not be mad at him getting a co-main event Fuck spot no. on like a fucking fight night card in, yeah. in a couple of months here. Even Shit, even if they pushed out to, into July, like the like the right fucking, usually they week. do the one fucking fight night before the fucking main event that's in before International Fight Week. Yeah. You know? that, that would be a good spot for him there. Because then he'd still be in Vegas during International Fight Week. So I'm just saying that that I think he's earned that after after that performance. It's a yeah. well-earned fucking co-main event on a fight night card. Don't me wrong, he's not ready for co-main event on a pay-per-view card yet, but no, 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 no. I mean, although if you did show up and do that kind of work on a co-main event on a pay-per-view, fuck. You sky's, yeah. sky's the limit. I was gonna say, then you have to have a whole different set of conversations. <laughs> yeah, but for being where he was at on the card in the prelims, talk about getting people fucking hyped. Like that fight is well, a lot of people generally, from what I've noticed, they'll start to watch, and I say this for the casual fan, they'll they'll start to watch around middle of the prelims. Not the early prelims, but around the middle of the prelims. Either that second or third fight on the prelim card. Right. Yeah. That's usually where they pick up. And talk about people just turning in for that. That's a fight to tune in for and really get you hyped up. That makes you want to buy the pay-per-view if you haven't already decided you were going to do it. Because, you know, what, you're going, if that just fucking happened, what could possibly happen fucking... Right, if this is what they're putting on the fucking prelims. Yeah. Yeah. Because, look, if I'm a casual fan and I run across that, holy fuck. They have some awesome fighters. I want to watch the fucking pay-per-view now. I want to dish out the fucking $85 that it is now for that. Right, yeah, that's the kind of fight that gets you in willing to open your fucking wallet, because if that's the early shit... Yeah, I'm pulling the fry on that one. Shut up and take my money. Right, yeah, no doubt. Well, and the best part is that 
as if that wasn't enough to really get you going. The retirement fight that I would say probably a third of that audience was there to watch. You heard that early prelim fucking crowd let some fucking noise out when they announced these when this fight started fucking walking out i think there was about two-thirds of the people in there for that fight yeah it might have been it might have been more than that it was loud as shit yeah no they they gave it the fuck up and that made me very happy because i don't give a fuck what anybody says in my opinion roxanne modafferi is one of the fucking best embodiments of what a female mixed martial artist can be like she said herself, I'm just a dorky girl who likes anime and jujitsu, and now I'm kind of famous for that, and that's pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. When you say down to earth fucking individual who just wasn't even necessarily about the fighting game. Her big thing was jujitsu, but it just kind of snowballed she into fifty MMA could. fights. Yeah, she said she said it herself. I never thought I was going to be an MMA fighter. I did it because I could, and it was fun. Fifty. Pro fights, yeah, fucking amazing. Like they don't make them like that anymore. Like we're gonna, we're not gonna see a lot of those fifty pro fight retirements in the future because that type of fighter isn't in the next generation, the upcoming groups after Roxy's class, if you will. And and make make no mistake, we're not calling Roxanne a mold breaker or anything like that. She's not a goat, but she is a goat when it comes to the old school fucking fighters. Because she has been around for a long fucking time. Look, for people who have just learned about her in the last like four or five years, you've missed so much. Because she did have a really long downswing in there, like where she was just doing fucking miserably. Switched camps, got her shit back on track, got into the UFC because of it. And look, she's done, she's had some major fucking wins over some pretty tough opponents. Uh, Not to mention, I have a feeling we're going to, we're still going to see her in submission underground. She might be done with fucking um, this. But we're going to see her in some sort of jujitsu, maybe even a combat jujitsu fucking arena. You know, I think you're correct. I, I think you're correct. I don't I don't know if it's going to be submission underground or if it's going to be flow grappling or if it's going to be combat jujitsu. But I, I agree. I think and she even said it herself. One of the main reasons much like uh, we just heard with uh, another recent UFC retiree. Uh, one of the reasons she decided to hang him up is she's worried about concussion worry about brain damage, worry about neural response time as she ages due to fighting 50 fucking pro fights, not to mention the pro amateur career or the fucking amateur career. And then all the jujitsu incidents, because sometimes shit fucking happens in jujitsu, even though it's non-striking. Um, so it's, it's possible for it to get crazy as well. But that being said, she still came out there and gave Casey O'Neill probably one of the toughest fights Casey's ever had in her fucking life. So close that it was a split decision that even the commentating crew couldn't say definitively that that fight went one way or the other. It was that damn close. You know what the saddest part of that fight for me was? It was in fact that Roxy lost. No. It was in fact that Casey won. That wasn't what the saddest part was. The saddest part was how much Modafferi looked improved since her last fight. 
her boxing was fucking a hundred times better than it was in her last fight. If you go back and watch her last fight versus this fight, it improved tenfold. I, I think that, and it makes me sad because she was still fucking improving, but she's smart enough to hang it up because the, the needy bastard in me says, I want to see more of her improving <laughs> in the MMA world. Because seeing how she jumped there, like the sky was the fucking limit for her. Yeah. But hats off. Because you know what? You know when to hang it up, do the right thing. Don't end up like some of these other punch drunk fuckers who don't know when to hang it up. Right. And I give her credit on that. I think the greatest thing about the fight, though, was her post-fight interviews. Like if you her talking about throwing just random weird shit that just, you yeah. don't normally see like an overhand fucking like hammer fist yeah and she was excitedly talking about it like she loved i gotta it. try it and it fucking yeah. worked and she looked at me like what the fuck was that <laughs> i'm going go back and watch those interviews that'll make you smile just from her fucking interview alone you don't even have to watch the fight watch her interview post fights they were fucking fantastic i wish her all the best and god yeah. damn it i'm gonna miss seeing her in the octagon well not even just the octagon, her whole fucking presence in the UFC, the weigh-ins, the fucking face-offs, oh, and yeah. then her fighting style in the octagon as well. Like, she's just fun. Period. Yeah. Like, she's a fucking cool person I'd want to fucking hang out with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or at least say I have the privilege to know, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. At least get to say that, hey, I know her. She's pretty fucking cool. For real. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, now, unfortunately, though, uh, from there, uh, that brought us to the walrus slap fest that was Andre Arlovsky versus Jared Vandera. Uh, this, unlike Roxy versus Casey, I do not agree was a close enough fight to be called a split decision. Uh, the ironic bit about both of these fights is that the same judge gave the opposing score to make it a split decision for both fights back to back even the commentating crew caught on to that when it fucking ran with a little bit because come the fuck on I love Roxy but come on come on now uh, the same that, thing. <laughs> that fight sucked um realistically uh i heard somebody talking about this this afternoon on uh an mma show um andre arlovsky is the only mma fighter in history to have not one not two but three separate four fight losing streaks and pull one out of their ass to keep it from going to five and still stay on the UFC roster. Think about those words. Three separate four fight losing streaks still on the UFC roster. I don't know of any other name shy of McGregor they would even consider doing that for. 
how Arlovsky is still wearing UFC branded gear in 2022, I genuinely do not understand anymore. Just, it doesn't make fucking sense. It just doesn't. You know, what's the weirdest part about that is, is, yeah, he's had multiple four fight losing streaks. The weird part is, is his last three fights, he, he somehow got decisions out of where he's won them. Albeit this one was a split decision where, uh, to be honest, it was ugly as fuck. I, either way, the fight as a whole was ugly between both of them. But now because he's back on a three-fight win streak in the UFC, they have no reason to cut him right now. Right. Job security, if you will. Yeah, and to me, that's a problem because I... Look, I love what... I say this all the time. Every time fucking Arlovsky comes up on a card, I still have a fucking special fucking place for Arlovsky. He's one of the godfathers of MMA. He was a bad motherfucker at one point. Now he's trying to beat up on soup cans with a fluffy unicorn for fists because it, it's he's nowhere near the fighter he was even five years ago. And five years ago, he was looking like shit. But if you go back 10 years, 15, yeah. That's when he was, I'll, I'll say run that 15-year mark, like the early 2000s. He was fucking on point, even into like the 2010s. And then it kind of fucking just snowballed into shit from there. Yeah. So Sometimes it, it may be good, sometimes maybe shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, to be honest, he's one of those fighters where I want him to hang them up. Dude, you're on a three-fight win streak. Hang that shit up. Call it a day. Go Don't out on the W. Up. Yeah, go out on a W. Don't take another loss to tarnish any more of your fucking great career because he legitimately has a great career. No matter how bad this last bit is, I still judge him by when he came in, coming in through pride and then the into the UFC. That he used yeah, to his be. early shit. I'm talking back when the rules weren't quite as stiff as they are now type shit. So... I mean, it's just, it's a bad look for him. And don't get me wrong, a W is a W, but dude, hang it the fuck up. Because you can tell, even in that fight with a fucking, I'll say a terrible looking Vandera coming in there, he didn't look good. He looked mediocre at best. And that... It, that, in my own opinion, is a that's a gift to look mediocre to say he looked mediocre at best. But that's part of that in me is I still think the actual pit bull Arlovsky, not the puppy dog Arlovsky that we have now, or the aging fucking golden family retriever yeah. that we have right now. Senior citizen canine. Yeah, like he should like the dude so fucking. If that was a dog, it would have hip dysplasia and probably need a fucking one of those little doggy walkers on wheels for the back legs to right. get him around. I'm just saying, it's it's time for him to hang him up. Love or hate the guy, it's time for him to hang him up. 
Yeah, like I said, still got a special place for him because he is one of those godfathers of when MMA was fucking MMA, not some of the shit we see now. And uh, and I say that lightly because there are still some really good MMA fighters now, but it's not that same. It's to me, it's not the same because I know what I grew up watching. I remember watching UFC one, two, three, all of those. The build up. Yeah, I've watched this sport come from infancy to where it is right now and i would say preteen years and i say preteen years because it's still fucking evolving it's worse it's still in its infancy you got to think this came out in the mid 90s this sport has been around less than 40 years i mean so if that tells you anything what is it the ufc's only been around what 26 or 27 years now yeah yeah it's coming up on the 30 year anniversary yeah, so I'm just saying, look at it that way and take it with a grain of salt. But yeah, it's time for him to hang him up. That's all I'm saying. Again, for like the millionth time we talk about it. Fuck. Right. Unfortunately, yeah. And, and but that's the sad part is I have, you're, you're right. We have to say, unfortunately, I want to be able to talk about him. But I, when I want to talk about him is when we say, do you remember how great this fight was back in right. 2001? Yeah, when you yes. want to talk about how great he was, you have to talk about a decade ago. Yeah, that's and that's the thing is, I want to talk about him in those lights. I don't want to talk about him in the lights that he is currently under. It's kind of like looking at a fucking dying fucking reptile. Yeah, it still sits under the heat lamp, but doesn't do anything. Yeah, no, just ain't the fucking same. And for whatever reason, apparently, I, I say it all the time, uh, I feel like Arlovsky needs a good enough friend to be able to get in his ear and be like, look, I love you, but this isn't getting any better. And it's not going to get any better. It's only going to get drastically worse until it gets to the point of no return. And then you ruin the rest of your life as well as your legacy. You'll get a good kick out of this. And I'm sure some of the listeners will. Um, There was a brief like, 10 seconds in that fight and it was probably in the first two minutes where Arlovsky's hand speed looked like old Arlovsky but it was only like for 10 seconds and then that completely went the fuck away and I was like oh what the fuck happened and then I was like oh there he is he's back we got him all right yeah because I was like that looked like Arlovsky hand speed back in the early 2000s. Where the Jason fuck did Paul. that come from? And then it, I'm guessing the arthritis must have set in just right. and Right. Off it went. Yeah. That sucks. It sucks. And we say it all the fucking time, but, you know, unfortunately, we have to keep saying unfortunately and keep talking about it. So hopefully one of these days, sooner rather than later, we don't have to keep talking about shit like that. And the thing is behind it, like to even say anything, the last thing I'm going to say about it, this is truly a young man's sport. Don't get me wrong. There are outliers in here. A la Glover Teixeira's and things like that, the Randy Couture's, but those are outliers. Like if you're looking statistically at this, they call that an outlier for a reason. That shit rarely fucking happens. When it does kind of like seeing a fucking shooting star you better make a wish on that motherfucker and call it a fucking day Arlovsky is not one of those outliers though 
young man's sport for a reason. I agree. I agree. <coughs> Excuse me. But moving along from there, um, a gentleman who we will be talking about again here in just a few more minutes, as if you haven't noticed, that seems to be the, the theme of this evening. Uh, one, Bobby King Green taking on Nasrat Hakparas and just giving him the fucking business for three solid goddamn rounds. Unanimous decision. You ain't putting Hakparas away easily. That dude's got a chin made of fucking granite. He can take a shot, and he was given one to take one, unfortunately. But uh, Bobby Green absolutely dominated that fight start to finish. So much so that we'll talk about him again in just a few more minutes. Um, I feel like the real, I don't even want to say star of the show, but the real uh, Nelson from the Simpsons moment of the card uh, was Alexander Hernandez, who we spoke about last week because he quite literally had a public hissy fit tantrum, whatever you want to call it, and used his time at the press release last week to say, and I quote, Dana White, how the fuck am I on the prelims? Well, when the Schnell Perez fight fell through because Matt Schnell's a bitch, uh, they had to move a fight up to the main card. So guess which fight got moved to the main card that we haven't talked about yet? You guessed right, boys and girls. Alexander Hernandez versus Hanada Moicano. And guess what? Alexander Hernandez got submitted in under two minutes of the second round. Didn't look very good in the first round to begin with. Got hit with the old Cowboy Cerrone combo, just like I fucking said last week. I bet he was going to fucking leave himself open for because he can't fucking help it. Him and Rick Story both, the same way that they fucking block, leave themselves open for that fucking headshot, body shot, fucking head kick when you're fucking bent over, like works every goddamn time and it worked good enough for Hanato to set fucking Hernandez up and just give him the fucking business. Give him that Cerrone combo, dropped him down, got the fucking sub out of the deal. That's that why was, you're on the fucking prelims, Alex. That was literally him going open mouth, insert foot, because why am I on the undercard? That, sir. That is why you're on the fucking it's early prelims. question, sir. And I am not um, going to sing Nato Moncano's praises because he's been kind of fucking just, he's been a shit show lately too, which is why he was on the fucking early prelims. Guess what? I, I will praise him for shutting fucking Alexander Hernandez up because you know what? Sure. That dude has been an absolute piece of garbage in the UFC for quite some time. They tried to get a hype train on him. They really tried. Like, oh, he's going to be the next great thing. No. His moniker, the great, needs to be changed because that shit is not correct. I even said it before the fights. He keeps running his mouth all like he did to fucking Cowboy Cerrone. He's going to get fucked up again. And what happened? He got fucked up again. And in damn near the exact same fashion. The only thing that didn't happen was he didn't get head kicked. He got fucking just put out, period. He got fucking submitted. 
So he had to quit. Instead of going out on a shield like he had to do with Cerrone because he didn't have an option. You can't tap out from a head kick when you're falling over. He had to fucking tap like a bitch. And instead of going out on his shield like um, when Mr. Blood Diamond, who I give a lot more respect to for that, even though he lost. If, oh my God, please let me out soon. Fucking pussy. What? That dude. I, I wish they would give that motherfucker walking papers. I, to be quite honest, I was never a fan of him. Not from the time he came into the UFC to even where we're at now. And look, if, if you're looking at him, he's been just um, absolute fucking garbage uh, since his fucking Stroni fight. He had a good run going. And look, and I say he had a good run going because we do have to include this. He did beat Benil Dariush. So credit where credit's due. During that up and coming moments, but that was before he knew what it was like to lose in the UFC. Once that came along, fucking straight to shitsville. Dude can't take a loss. He's turned into an absolute garbage fighter. He's been getting beat by fucking soup cans. So it's time for him to go. Yeah, no, I I agree. And this is one of those situations where he showed up with so much hype and nobody really knew why. Like he just kind of showed up with his own like, oh yeah, we're here to take over. And everybody's like, Apparently he's here to take over. Did you did you hear? He said he's here to take over. Does anyone does anyone have a record of him coming to take over? Like, <laughs> and now we're seeing why no one else knew about that hype. Literally the who the fuck is that guy moment, right? No shit. Yeah, and not from the good side of things. <laughs> uh, but uh, from there, I will say probably the most frustrating moment of the whole evening for me um jared cannoneer versus Derek brunson um there's no good way to say it uh Derek brunson was kicking jared cannoneer's ass in round one fairly easily like it was a pretty one-sided fucking fight in round one and then for whatever reason that same Brunson didn't come out in round two and I don't know if Cannoneer had the powers of the crystals recharging him in the fucking corner in between rounds or what but that was a complete different fight in round two than it was in round one. Um, he almost got wrestle fucked in the process of doing it, but Cannoneer laid Derek Brunson the fuck out just like almost every other middleweight contestant has in the last four years with the exception of Yoel and Costa. 
everybody's had to go through Brunson and everybody has styled on blonde Brunson, despite saying how dangerous he is. I say with air quotes, because after he gets his ass kicked, they throw him a soup can and he looks great again. Uh, well, apparently we were at that point in the cycle because uh, Cannoneer did not look good in that fight. And then after laying Derek the fuck out in round two, started to talk all that shit because he just laid out Derek Brunson. He made blonde Brunson into blood Brunson. Look, I'm not mad at him. Not at all. Because, look, if you look, this is the way I saw that fight. Don't get me wrong. Ken Neer was getting walked all over, but walked all over loosely, as in he was getting Russell fucked to death. Yeah. Brunson was not doing any damage to him at all. None. Cannoneer was just getting laid on. He was trying to tire Cannoneer out more tired than he was going to be. The catch is, Cannoneer didn't get tired as fucking Brunson did. When that second round bell came out, you could see the noticeable difference in Brunson and how tired he was from Russell fucking for five minutes. Like, it was it was blatantly fucking obvious on how, how tired he was. Because he was slower. Like, even some of the, the shots he had taken then, as far as, like, fucking trying to shoot for takedown before he did get finished in the second round, they were noticeably slower and sluggish. And Kenneer didn't seem to really lose a step, all things considering that he um, was just fucking... He was just wrestle-fucked to death for a, a round. But he didn't look any worse for wear than he was before, so... Um, just um, a weird situation to see. And to be honest, I'm okay with him talking shit. Granted, talking shit that you beat Derek Brunson is kind of like saying you kicked the trash can. Good job. But nonetheless, because of where they were in the rankings, that's good for him. Cannoneer is going to get that next shot. And right. we yeah, already no. know that because he called Izzy out directly to Dana. Made sure Dana was watching. Yeah, I was going to say. Later on, Izzy, Izzy said, you know what? I heard him. He's next on the list. Guaranteed that fight happens next before anything else. And I'm okay with that because Izzy has been wanting to fight Cannoneer and Cannoneer has been wanting to make that step up. He had the chance to do it previously, but then he tripped over his own dick previously when he did it. So now in this fashion of with a TKO knockout victory here, that gets him that right to make that call. Now, how's he going to fare against um, Izzy? I think a lot better than fucking... um, Whitaker did, but we'll get to that in a minute. But I mean, I I, it, I think this will be that spot where once this fight happens between him and Izzy, if that happens and Izzy beats him, that's where we see Izzy start thinking about a possible different weight class permanently to go take over. Because you can only lap the field so many times before it's just monotonous. Don't get me wrong. You want to have all of the fucking stones, by all means, get all the stones. I'm okay with that. But this is his last real test that's in the division is in Jared Cannonier, to be quite honest. Basically. There's nobody right now in middleweight that looks like they're remotely ready for him other than Cannonier. And God knows um, Izzy is not going to wrestle Cannonier. It's going to be a stand-up fight. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be brutal. It's it's gonna be a rough rough fight. I think. 
Yeah, so, I mean, there is that. No, 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 wrong. Some of the shit Cannoneer said in the post-fight, I wasn't happy with. But at the same time, you know what? When you have the mic like that, you have to use it to talk shit and get your point across. So that whole, oh, well, you're in a little bit of a tight situation. Nah, that was just going with the flow and through the motions. No, dude, you were literally getting fucking wrestle fucked to death in the first round. Don't don't play that bullshit. But yeah, you know what? Don't pretend that was your plan. Yeah, look, you you had you you pulled it off. Good on you. And even if he wouldn't have pulled it off in the second round, as tired as Brunson was, he would have definitely pulled it off in the fucking third. And also, can we give a big shout out to Brunson's fucking corner? For throwing in the towel just before they were getting ready to stop as the stoppage like, was he was coming in for the made. stoppage the towel is coming in from the corner thank you fucking and finally an mma corner that is doing the right fucking thing and saving their fighter from additional damage when it doesn't need to be had i was so fucking happy to see that brunson better give everyone in his fucking corner mad props for that i know you don't want to see your corner ever throw the towel in on you but at the same time that is a fucking happy occasion for me to see that because we never see that in mma yeah, you need to know that your corner is educated enough to know when they can stop it before a ref will and you don't need to be taking any more damage that's yeah. your corner's job that was one of the greatest things that, that i've seen in a long time in mma and not because it was a stoppage or anything like that but i'm talking purely on what was done by the corner that was a beautiful thing. And look, I, it sucks to throw in the towel on your own fighter, but that tells me his corner is educated and they understand longevity of the sport. Right. So right. they did the right thing. Good on them. I mean, and they lit the towel. If you go back and you watch the replays, as the ref is coming in, you can see the towel flying by the camera at the same fucking time. So yep. they were right on top of it. And as was the ref, because the ref was right there at, at that same t- time. So it was a, it was on both parts. Ref, great job on the stoppage and great job on fucking Brunson's corner knowing that, hey, he doesn't oh, need to take any of this shit. Throw it in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and what makes me, it does make me wonder a little bit if they saw what I saw in that second round of Brunson getting just obviously fucking stupidly tired. Yeah, which is weird considering the dude is a fucking wrestler. Wrestlers generally don't get tired. Makes me wonder: was there something fucking wrong with him during the fight, or just prior to the fight, or was the weight cut that bad to him? That's what I was gonna say. It might have been a rough weight cut because you saw he had plenty of energy in round one, but how quick it disappeared when round two started. Yeah, it makes me wonder if something that happened in the weight cut, or if he was sick during that week prior, or something right, like that. Something, yeah. Where his system just wasn't all the way up, back up to par, or something. Because generally, wrestlers from just chain wrestling don't get tired. That's what they do. Look at God. I hate to use this example. <clears throat> Look at DC. DC, the big fucking fat bastard he is. Even at heavyweight, when he was chain wrestling, he didn't get tired. Not from the wrestling. No. He got tired from the other shit, but right. not from the wrestling. So seeing Brunson get tired from the wrestling and knowing it was the wrestling because he wasn't taking any damage in the first round was really fucking weird to see. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the... Well, we'll talk about that more in a little bit. Uh, moving on from there. <laughs> uh, co-main event of the evening. Um, 
probably the least expected outcome of the evening, I think would be a good description for this fight. Um, I don't know that anyone would say that Tuivasa didn't have a chance, but the heavy, heavy favorites, uh, betting favorites, fan favorites, you know, MMA media favorites were all definitely leaning more towards Derek Lewis getting his quote unquote run back or vengeance or whatever, whatever you want to fucking call it uh, back in Houston, trying to make good on the fuck up. He just did at home. Um, but God damn. Um, I will say credit where credit's due. We saw the most wrestling heavy version of Derek Lewis we have ever seen. That being said, uh, Derek clearly doesn't watch this podcast because if he did, he would have heard the fucking zillion times we have said, if your hands aren't doing this, they should be doing this. If they're not being used, they should be blocking. That's what big fucking hands are great for. Well, Derek dropped his fucking hands and uh, Ty gave him an elbow into next fucking week. And for the first time in his professional UFC career, he got laid the fuck out flat cold i swear to god i heard somebody yell timber and he just went full limp smackdown face planted in the fucking canvas unconscious tied to ivasa you know what's funny is all of those mma journalists and fans and all of that shit that were leaning Derek lewis's way i was not one of them i was one that said i couldn't call it because i knew that with the power that comes out of both of them, it was, it was to me, in my own personal opinion, I don't give a fuck what Vegas odds or anybody said, that's a fucking coin flip. When you have two guys that are bangers that are just going to go in there and swing, I didn't know which way it was going to go. Derek surprised me with how much wrestling he did. Ty also surprised me with how well he managed on the ground. Now, I say this loosely because Derek is not known as a wrestler, but Ty did a fucking pretty goddamn good job when he was getting put on his back of working himself back up. Also credit to fucking Ty and his big fucking coconutted head. Cause that dude took some nasty bombs that nor any other normal heavyweight would have went to sleep from up against the cage like that. They would have literally been laying on the ground, drooling on themselves, fucking teeth laying out there and everything. No, Ty took him in stride, stood right the fuck back up. What surprised me most about this fight, not the outcome. That it made it into the second fucking round. That's to say that it didn't end in the first. Yeah. <laughs> look, those boys were swinging and banging in the first fucking round. Yes, they fucking were. You know what? <laughs> Even with the little bit of wrestling that happened in there, and I say little because it wasn't a lot, but there was a there was enough in there to make you realize that it was there. Yeah. Those boys did exactly what they said they were going to do at the fucking press conference. We're going to come and swing and bang. I'm going to try to take your head off. You're going to try to take my head off. 
Somebody's head had to go. Yeah. And look, and also, can't give credit to Ty for one other thing. The amount of respect, even after the fight was over, that he showed to Derek Lewis. They asked him, well, they asked him, well, now that you've knocked out the heavyweight king, does that make you? He goes, no. He's got the records. He got that name for a reason. Yep. He got that for a reason. He ain't going anywhere. So he took his first his first actual knockout loss. I think the thing that surprised me most was Tai Tuivasa finally got what I will call his um, Mark Hunt-esque moment. Because it was pretty much a walk-off album. It sure the fuck was. Yeah, he, he looked like he was going to think about it. And as the ref was coming in, as Timber was going down, he just kind of turned around and walked off. And it yeah. was that Mark Hunt-esque thing. And you know what? Maybe all those years of being Mark Hunt's fucking punching dummy finally fucking finally came around and spelled something, something out for him. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm not mad at the result. Either way, it would have been fucking fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I am I'm cautiously optimistic on Tai Tuivasa going forward. Yeah. I, and I, I think say, a lot of it depends on what they do with him next. Yes, it's going to be depend on what they do with him next and how does he train for his next fight. Yes. Is he going to continue to work on the ground game? Because from what I saw, he looked all right, but he didn't look good for where a lot of those heavyweights are. So well, that, if you follow his social media, uh, you'll know that he wasn't joking in his post-fight press conference where he said, uh, we're not doing anything next immediately. The first thing we're doing once we finish with this is going to Cancun, baby. Oh, yeah. He's been partying it up for the last he, fucking week. Yeah, he let, literally left from Houston, went to Cancun, and had a mariachi band waiting for him in his hotel room where he immediately started partying upon landing. <laughs> so, <laughs> Look, He said, I want to go party, get it out of my system, and then I'm going to go be dad. And you know what? I'm not mad at you for that, man. No, you, you let out, me, buddy. Let out, dude. Get it done. Yeah. Show, <laughs> show your ass, dude. Have it, man. Just have fucking fun with it. Fucking wild. It was, to be honest, that was everything I was hoping for in that fight. It, it really was. Like those guys were. That was the live epitome of what I was hoping for for those two heavyweights. That was the epitome of what I was hoping for in the first Derek Lewis Francis and Ganu fight. Yes, but that absolutely. didn't. Happen. Absolutely. So, I mean, but we finally got our Lewis and Ganu moment in Tuivasa Lewis. Yeah, no shit. No shit. Thank you, fucking Christ, for it finally working out in favor of the fans. Yeah. And not just those of us who follow the sport very, very closely, but for those that are just the casuals. Because you know what? That's a great heavyweight fight for casuals. Yeah, anybody who watches Sports Center is going to see that highlight for the next week or two. Oh, good God, yeah. Although, I am going to say I am highly disappointed because right after the fact, he goes to get up on the cage to do a shoey. Nobody throws him a shoe nor a beer. He has to wait to get out of the octagon before a shoey takes place. Yep. A little pissy about that. Well, and as, as shitty as that is, I will say that actually probably did ironically work out for the best. Uh, nobody realized it in the moment on part of his fucking marketing partners fuck up. But when he walked into the crowd, 
the guy that he did the shoey with where the shoes said drink west facing out drink west is the name of the company that makes the shoey vasa yep that was his marketing partner that he did the shoey with that was an, a, a commercial he basically made an advertisement on the spot but no one thought enough to set that up properly because once he made his way out of the octagon after doing that shoey in the drink west shoes with his marketing partner he went backstage and got dana white to do a shoey vasa and it's on touch nobody's shoe page but yeah they got him on camera knocking one fucking down and dana said he wouldn't let me out of it there was no way he was he was waiting for me the second he got out of that cage the first thing he did after he got his shit backstage done was grab a beer and come looking for me <laughs> so ty wasn't letting him out of it ty got dana fucking white to do a fucking shoey vasa and he killed the whole goddamn beer so now and just a little clarification for everything i will put this out here the shoey vasa is a glorified beer bar okay Yes, it's basically a rubber fucking crock with no holes. It's and a spigot like a fucking beer bong would have. Yeah, it's a shoe shaped funnel that you can put the whole beer bottle into instead of yeah. pouring into bottle it. or can doesn't matter. Yeah, both, and yeah. then it's got an old school beer bong style fluid yeah. valve. So it's a it's a single fucking can bottle fucking beer bong is what it is. Yeah, Which, it's cleaner honest, than doing it from the bottle or the can, basically. Yeah, and it's way cleaner than doing it from an actual shoe. So if you want to join in the shoeies, uh, this is not, I'm not get putting out this here. Yeah, there's no endorsement. They, they are available for sale if you do want one. We <laughs> do not right. get paid from them. Guarantee right. fucking that. So if I did, I'd be fucking have one right now, but I don't get paid. So, But I would say, yeah, if you're into it and you want to be part of his shoey nation, by all means. However... Caveat to that statement, I don't want him to only be known as the Shoei fighter. Because he's much more than just the Shoei fighter, if you guys haven't learned. The Shoei is just the fucking celebration afterwards. The dude is, he's a legitimately good fighter. And look, he had his bad run in the beginning. Because he lost like, what, three, four in a row in here? Yeah, I think, I think three in a row. Yeah, and he turned his shit around. Like, the dude started to take the training seriously, and like you said previously, he was learning on the job, so. Literally. <laughs> I mean, he's obviously getting better, and you can see it, because you're taking on the likes of a Derek Lewis who knocked out fucking the who's who of the fucking heavyweight. Yeah. Team. Oh, hey, yeah, absolutely. Considering Volkov was whipping his ass all across the fucking ring, and then fucking, here comes Lewis, puts him out. Same fucking concept. Tui Vasa has that, but what Tui Vasa has that Lewis doesn't have? He has a little bit more time on his side because he's a lot younger. So yeah, there is absolutely. that. So he, he can definitely expand his game from here. And being as he's still young into his career, he's only what eight fights deep in the UFC right now, I think. Nine, Seven or yeah, eight. Something like that. And all of his fights have been pretty closely back to back. I mean fairly recognizable names at that. Yeah. And he, he, he didn't get any soup cans to start out with. No. Once they saw he could fucking claim clocks, they're like, yeah. Let's see if you can clean big boys clocks and he's doing now so fuck yeah don't look at him as just a shoey guy albeit that is a fantastic reason to watch him after he's done <laughs> yes, you know what? Sir. i get a good kick out of it every fucking time makes I me giggle makes time. me laugh and yep i can't help but <coughs> there not to mention the way that dude his swagger and the way he interviews the dude, he's meant for the fucking spotlight. He really they don't get, Yeah, they don't get much more naturally authentic than that. Like, 
when you're talking to Ty on fight week, it's the same Ty you're going to talk to if you catch him tomorrow down in Cancun. Yep. Only difference is, is he'll be all lubed up down in Cancun. Yeah, I would say he'll be very imbibed in libations down in Cancun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, but from there, uh, wrapping up our 271 recap real quick, now that we're starting to run along a little bit. Um, Whitaker versus Adesanya 2. Um, look, I don't I don't want to be an asshole here, but I don't know that anybody realistically thought Whitaker was going to take that belt back. Um, I know that there's always a puncher's chance and that, you know, based on the way the first one ended and the run that Whitaker has been on in his last three fights, you know, he wasn't going to make it easy. That's for goddamn sure. But I don't know that anybody realistically went into this fight thinking, oh, Bobby Knuckles is coming to get his belt back. It was a matter of how is he going to stop at this time? Well, credit where credit's due, Whitaker came in a tough son of a bitch, and Izzy couldn't stop him this time. But on that same token, Whitaker couldn't do shit to Izzy. He couldn't hardly land a fucking punch on him. He did get a couple of very, very desperate takedowns that he couldn't hold Izzy down for literally more than 10 seconds during either of. But that smattered in between Izzy just beating the shit out of and then out dancing him for the whole goddamn fight. Um, realistically, Rob is a great top three gatekeeper for middleweight, but he's not going to even get another look at that belt again until Izzy finally leaves and goes to 205 permanently and gives up 185. And I honestly don't know if Rob's got that much time left in him. I'm wondering if we see Whitaker go up to 205 because of that. And that very well could be as well. And that might actually be a lot better for him. And that's something that, despite watching Izzy do it, that's something that people have been trying to talk Whitaker into doing for a long well, he's time. He's more built for that division than fuck Sure the fuck is. And unfortunately, with the hard part for Izzy is he's in a weird fucking spot in 185 with like, look at this, look at his body, his body type. I'm going purely off of body type. He's a slim individual. He's so slim that he can't realistically go down to 170 without hurting himself. And going up to 205, we saw what happens when you go up there and you're not bulked enough for that division. Right. Look, I'm sure if he was bulked up a little bit more, he could have possibly given Blahovich a little bit of more of a run for his money. And I say a little bit because right. there, there's still that strength thing that, you know, that's what that's where the blueprint came from on how to beat Izzy. Take his ass down. Fucking power and yeah, hold him there. Yeah, because to be quite honest, watching that fight with Blahovich made me question Izzy's ground game a lot. Yep. But well, it made Izzy question his ground game a lot. On the other side of that, in 185, nobody can hold him down. Point in case here, Whitaker, because Whitaker did get quite a few takedowns on him, yep. which, to be quite honest, I was thoroughly impressed with. He got, I think it was four or five of them during the fight. Yeah, him and Lewis both just added magic fucking takedowns to both of their arsenals for last week. Yeah, and I don't want to take anything away from Whitaker here, because, look, he still belongs at the top of the division for a fucking reason. But he, he wasn't, there was nothing that he was doing that made me go, 
he has a legitimate chance here. Don't get me wrong. There is definitely some things that I saw out of him that you could see some evolution in his game. Yeah. Because there were some things in there, not outside of the takedowns, that watching the way he was striking and moving, he's definitely gotten better in those last three fights since he fought Izzy last. Definitely. But it wasn't enough. Although I will give him credit in this aspect. Going from about the middle of the third round up through the fifth, he seemed to progressively get better in the third through fifth round. Uh, like the fourth round was kind of a toss up in my opinion. Yeah, it, it went it and went the, back and forth. I think that was the closest round, really. And to be honest, the fifth round I thought was when Whitaker did his best work was in the fifth round. Yeah, I agree. So I was like, I, to be honest, the fifth round is where I thought Whitaker won his one and only round. Yeah, a lot of people said it was four. You could have possibly given. I, I can understand it, them making the argument for that. I don't agree with it, but I can I, understand. I'm not argument. saying I agree with it either. I'm just saying there was the possibility that he could have possibly won two rounds. But I definitely think he won the fifth round. But it was weird to see him get stronger as the fight went on, which especially considering how much his leg was beat the fuck up. Because right. um, Izzy went to work on that leg early. And what's funny about it is he didn't really come back to it all that much after he really went to work on it. I would have figured he went, went way harder at it. And what's funny is, like, if you looked early in the fight, Whitaker's leg was all sorts of fucked up. Oh, yeah. He, Izzy was chewing on that motherfucker right out of the right off the jump. Yeah. So how he kept the movement that he did and still be able to plant on it and get those good driving takedowns because the takedowns he were getting, they were nice driving doubles and things like that where you need to be able to use your calves and all that. Yeah. And it, it, the dude's tough as fucking nails, man. I'll give him that, but he just didn't have anything for him. And good on Izzy and really good on Whitaker for not going out. He did get sat down once. Although when the more that I looked at it, I don't know if it was he was necessarily sat down or if he was off balance. Because there was a couple spots in there where the way I looked at it, it looked kind of like he was off balance. But at the same time, it kind of looked like he just kind of plopped down like he was fucking sat down. So I wasn't quite sure. But I was yeah, like, it could be a combination I gotta, of the two. I got to give the benefit of the doubt to Izzy on that one and say he sat him down because. Yeah, um, either way, even if he was off balance in that moment, he was off balance and Izzy still clipped him. Yeah. And he so, ended up on I mean, his ass. And yet Whitaker just didn't go away. And so that tells me something that he definitely learned from the first fight. And Izzy, to be quite honest, what's funny here, I don't think Izzy evolved as much as um, Whitaker did. I can see that. Because if he would have evolved more than Whitaker, he would have easily have finished him. So in the way my thought process is on this, and I'm not saying Izzy hasn't evolved, because he obviously has. Well, and I would say the counter... Go ahead. My thought process is, if you easily put him out in the first fight and then can't put him away in the second fight. It tells me that Whitaker has evolved just a little bit more. I'm not saying a fucking drastic bunch more, but a little bit more because Izzy still has to evolve. So you can evolve a little bit more, but you're still not evolved enough to beat him at this point. So uh, that's why I'm like, maybe he did evolve a little bit more. He's learned a thing or two. His fight IQ has gotten better. You know, some things along those lines. Yeah. But it's a moot point either way, because uh, we're not going to see Whitaker take a fucking crack at the title again. He would have to probably get like a six fight win streak of who's who's trying right. to come up and take a Kale, crack everybody in the first. Yeah. Yeah. 
no, I, I would say the counterpoint to that, <clears throat> excuse me, is that the other reason that Izzy couldn't finish Whitaker as easily this time as he could last time is because in the last fight, right out of the gate, Whitaker was leaping forward. Every punch he threw, he was charging at Izzy and he left himself open for opportunities like that lean back left that Izzy used to lay him out last time. Whitaker was much more measured in his striking this time. You didn't see hardly any of that fucking leaping. Every time he threw a punch, it was either on a solid bull rush run like he usually does, or it was in a stand your ground and fucking let it go. There was no leaping, no rushing like he did the first time as well. So that's there. I think there was a little evolution on both sides of it, really. That's some evolution on both sides. So it, it definitely threw wrenches into both people's plans, which to be honest, it made the fight interesting, at least. I mean, I was going to say there was nobody, nobody could have predicted it was going to go that way. And I'm not saying that Izzy completely lopsided dominated him because, I mean, it, it wasn't that bad. Don't get me wrong. He obviously didn't win the fight, but it wasn't like some of those fights where you see where the dude just gets absolutely worked all out, Calvin Cater, Max Holloway. Right. No, I think the best he, way to describe it is that Rob had some moments, but never had Izzy in trouble. Yeah. The only time I thought he could have possibly gotten him in trouble was during those takedowns, if he would have been able to hold, hold him down, but do Izzy something. was able to pop back up, which to Rob's credit, he went 40% on takedowns, because I think, um, what did he do? He attempted like 10 or 11 or something. Say, I think, yeah, I think he, five. he went four for 11, yeah. So, I mean, the dude went about 40%, and that's pretty goddamn good against Izzy. So, you know, the downside for Izzy is that really shows a lot of people that it is possible to take him down. And if they work hard enough on that and working on holding somebody down, that might be their out to having to stand and bang with him. Because to be honest, you don't want to stand and bang with Izzy. His his striking is fucking top-notch. Like, to be honest... He's one of the best strikers in the fucking game right now. That and flip side of that coin as well. Now that Izzy knows that even as much as he's been working on it, and you can see he's been working on it, Whitaker was still able to get a 40% success rate on takedowns against him in that title fight. So if you don't think that, you know, Costa and Vittori trying to wrestle fuck him motivated him, to go back and work on his wrestling, knowing that even as improved as he is, Whitaker could still take him down four fucking times. You don't think he's going to get back in there and work twice as hard on his wrestling? Oh, yeah. You ain't even following Izzy. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. It, MMA is a fickle game. So, I mean, it's it's fun to watch how these fighters go back and try to close up the little fucking holes that they have here, especially when they're at the top of their game. Like, we don't talk about it a lot about fighters at the top of their game on where they need to close up holes, but shit like this really shows you where that stuff needs to happen. And you'll see in his upcoming fights, how those holes have gotten closed. If those people decide to go for takedowns, Cannoneer, he's not going to focus on takedowns. That's not his fucking game. He's a good ground and pound artist. Once you're down to the ground. Right. But He's not go- looking specifically for takedowns. He'll stand. Yeah, he's not looking to shoot. He's got some good strikers. <laughs> so I mean, that's going to be. I'm. I'm kind of not going to lie. I'm kind of excited for that fight. That's way more exciting of a fight than this fight was. To me, yeah, in theory, yeah, I say in theory because the fight hasn't happened yet. But when it right now is a theory crafted fight, yeah, that's way more exciting than Whitaker is. He? Yeah, I can see that for sure. Um. So, with that said, um, 
I don't know how the fuck it happened, but some fucking miracle of MMA-ness uh, actually gave us a pay-per-view event with a fight of the night bonus and then two performance of the night bonuses like they used to do, like they say are so important, I say with air quotes. It's nice to see them getting back and sticking to that. So for this week, we got a little bit of, uh, I would say, fairly predictable uh, run. Uh, the fight of the night was Silva Dandraj versus Morozov. Uh, that was a fucking insane fight. So I absolutely understand that. Um, performance of the night bonuses went to Cannoneer for knocking out Brunson and Ty Tuivasa for knocking out Derek Lewis. Uh, I absolutely understand. And I agree with both of those. Uh, makes perfect fucking sense to me, especially if you watch the fights this weekend. Um, now, the tricky thing is that we did also get the medical suspensions from the Houston Athletic Commission. And much like every fucking time we go to Houston, we had ridiculous judging and we've got ridiculous medical suspensions. So much like Vegas, they did not go into much detail or put much thought into these suspensions. Uh, we literally have four categories here. We have the suspended until February 28th category. We have the, Feb, excuse me, suspended until March 15th, or words, sorry, schedule, the suspended until February 28th, suspended until March 15th, and then suspended until April 14th. So the vast majority, almost the entire card is on the suspended until February 28th with the exception of, I think, six guys who are on the March 15th list. And then there is one, count them, one person on the April 14th suspension list, that being Derek Lewis himself. And then there were two suspensions that make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Both Marcelo Rojo... And Maxim Grisham, Maxim, who won his fight, by the way, uh, both of them were suspended indefinitely by the Houston Commission. And the Houston Commission, unlike Las Vegas, does not release the information as to why or what needs to be done to get them cleared. Just you're suspended indefinitely because fuck you. So that fucking ridiculousness aside, um, I'm going to jump into the news and recent events. I know we are running a little late here, so I am going to try and kick this one down and crunch these out real quick. Take a drink real quick, and we will micro-machines this shit. All right. News in a hurry. Uh, this weekend's card has a change. Khalid Taha is out for undisclosed reasons, but... Stepping in in his place will be the debuting Jay Perrin taking on Mario Batista on just five days notice. So props to him for that. Um, next weekend's uh, main event has been moved. It is now officially Rafael Dos Anjos versus Rafael Fiziev taking place as the co-main event of UFC 272 on March 5th, which is cool as shit and a great fight either way. 
Uh, we have got the official rebooking of John Hands of Stone Lineker versus Bibiano Fernandez for the 135-pound 1FC belt after him testing positive for his Backstreet Reunion tickets just a couple weeks ago. Um, Impa Kasanganai is getting back into the octagon for his first post-UFC fight, stepping in on Eagle FC 46, taking place March 11th against the gentleman no one knows. Um, we have got a pair of announcements for the Bellator 276 card taking place on March 12th. Kat Zingano stepping in against Pam Sorensen, paving her way to that title fight with Cyborg. And John Salter taking on Johnny Eblen, which is another great matchup for Bellator. Staying on the Bellator side of the house. The April 15th card for 277, the following pay-per-view, not pay-per-view, numbered event, rather, for Bellator, uh, has had its main event confirmed in the form of AJ McKee versus Pitbull 2 to be co-main evented by Neiman Gracie, or excuse me, not Neiman Gracie, uh, Vadim Nemkov versus Corey Anderson for the 205 belt on there as well. Um. Two weeks after that, the April 30th UFC card has added to it Darren Elkins versus Tristan Connolly, which will be a fucking awesome banger. If you are into fights, you're going to want to catch that one for sure. Uh, May 7th, UFC 274 has had a very fun fight added to it here in the form of Joe Lozon versus Cowboy Cerrone. If that one doesn't get you excited, you don't understand MMA, plain and simple. Um, We talked about this a little bit last week. We got the confirmation here. Lyoto Machida's final fight on his Bellator contract will take place in the Bellator London card, May 13th, fighting hometown boy Fabian Edwards. So, that's going to be a very interesting fight to go out on. And I almost think that they heard him say last week that he was going to test free agency. So they're giving him one of the toughest fights he would be willing to accept as his final fight on the contract. Uh, that being said, we got confirmation this week from Nate Diaz. He is officially no longer interested in a Conor McGregor trilogy. The only thing he wants now is a fight with Dustin Poirier as his retirement bout. And then he is quote done with this UFC bullshit. So we will see if that actually goes out the way that it says. Uh, We'll get back to touching more on that subject here in just a little bit here. Um, We also got word this week that Kevin Holland has held his second internet troll accountability session, if you will. Uh, Last time bringing a internet troll in who tried to shoot on him and he choked him out. And I believe it was 28 seconds. Uh, This time he brought an internet troll in who he body kicked to death, not literally, but figuratively. Uh, I think they said it was 31 seconds and six body kicks and the dude dropped and was absolutely finished. So uh, on one hand, be careful what you wish for. On the other hand, uh, don't talk shit to Kevin Holland on Instagram if you're not prepared to back it up because he's ready to let you and it's probably not going to go the way that you think it's going to go. That being said, uh, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier uh, in a tongue-in-cheek method, but they did have the press conference this afternoon for the BKFC Knuckle Mania 2, which we will touch on again in just a little bit with a little bit of a breakdown for it. Um, and Aluminum Mike Perry in Aluminum Mike fashion brought an aluminum baseball bat to the goddamn press conference to try and smack Julian fucking Lane with. Obviously, no one let him, but it looked 
pretty fucking Mike Perry-ish. So um, there is that. Um, we also got word just yesterday confirmed from the other half of the story from earlier that Dustin Poirier is also officially, and I say air quotes, closing the door on another Conor McGregor fight, the fourth fight in their stint, uh, says he is maybe interested in a Nate Diaz fight, but absolutely has no interest in fighting Conor McGregor for a fourth time. So there is supposedly interest on both sides here. We'll, we'll fucking see. I doubt it, but we'll fucking see. Um, Again, touching back on an earlier story that we led to, um, coming fresh off of his ass whooping being dealt out against Nasrat Hotcross just last weekend, Saturday at UFC 271, Bobby King Green is officially getting tapped once again when we got word just this week that Benil Dariush has suffered a gruesome leg injury and will be out of next week's main event against Islam Makachev. So Benil Dariush is officially out and Bobby Green is stepping in on nine days notice after taking a two weeks notice, short notice fight in Nasrat Hotkaras to then turn around and take the main event spot next weekend or two weeks from now, rather, um, against Islam. Props, but... That's a risky situation. We'll we'll talk more about that next week, I'm sure, but ooh, we'll see. Um, another last-minute addition to the UFC 272 card, March 5th. Uh, Umar Nurma, excuse me, Umar Nurmagomedov will be taking on Brian Boom Boom Kelleher, and I have never wanted a double KO more in my fucking life because i don't want to see either one of those fucking clowns catch a w but somebody's gonna have to so we'll see how that goes that being said um we did get another last minute addition here just this afternoon to the eagle 46 or excuse me eagle fc 46 event taking place on march 11th this one actually a genuinely interesting fight first real interesting fight i've seen khabib announce on any of his cards so far uh ray borg versus ricky bandejas one of the closest representations we will get anytime soon to ufc versus bellator um that i think is actually a pretty goddamn good fight on paper all the way across the board um, and as is the case, uh, seems to be the theme of the fucking season. Um, as some of you know, I blew my fucking knee out, completely blew my ACL toward the MCL and fucked up my meniscus as well as fractured both bones in the joint. It is not good. It is angry. Um, we are trying to heal, though. Uh, but apparently I am not the only one having leg problems because we got confirmation this week that... Jimmy Crute is officially on the IR list for the next year, prospectively about to undergo a complete knee reconstruction. And then we got word this afternoon that Warley Alvarez is also out for the next 10 to 12 months as he has to have a complete ACL repair operation. So tis the season for not good knees. Apparently I don't feel as alone, but I also understand how much this sucks 
Um, that being said, speaking of things that suck, the last little piece of news I have here, sadly, uh, is a grave one. Uh, we have gotten word this week that Extreme Couture head coach Tim Lane was officially found dead in the mountains outside town, uh, almost exactly like uh, other Extreme Couture head coach Robert Follis uh, just a couple years prior. So uh, definitely fucking thoughts go out to uh, Eric Nixick and the guys over at Extreme Couture. That is some heavy, heavy shit to have to deal with. Um, that being said, that is all we've got for news this evening. And I'm assuming that's all golf he's got because uh, he had to step out for just a moment here. Uh, so we do have a small plethora. Uh, I kind of alluded to it in the name of the episode here. Um, if you saw that, you should kind of understand. Um, we technically have fights this weekend, but like we joked about earlier, not a one of the three major cards taking place this weekend is a, a good card from top to bottom. Collectively, all three of them would make a great card, card with all of the good fights on them. So I want to give you a quick little rundown here. We're starting uh, with the first one taking place Saturday, starting at seven, uh, excuse me, six p.m. Eastern, five p.m. Central Time. Uh, UFC. It's been a long fucking day. Starting at 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Central Standard Saturday evening will be Bellator 274, Gracie versus Storley. Uh, Neiman Gracie taking on Logan Storley is a fucking spectacular main event, in my opinion here. Uh, Andre Korshkov versus Chance Recontour. Uh, for the co-main event, not great, not the worst. Honestly, Giorgio Karkarian versus uh, Adam Piccolotti for the People's Co-Main is probably the best fight on that card, in my opinion. Um, I don't think there was anything on the prelims. Uh, really exciting. Quick rundown just to make sure. No. Okay, so that'll get you kicked off on Saturday because, you know, Bellator, for some reason, wanted to compete with everyone else. Uh, and if you don't understand what I mean by that, uh, kicking off at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central Time on Saturday night is BKFC Knuckle Mania 2. Uh, now, again, this is not a great event all the way around, but there are several interesting fights that will be taking place on it here. Um, the first one, Battle of the Only Fan Gals, Jade Mason Wong versus Christine Bisons. Um, one of the few MMA guys who legitimately has brag-worthy boxing, uh, Gustavo Trujillo, who we saw in the Triller event, just absolutely do fucking genuine work here, taking on Stephen Townsell. That'll be an interesting fight. Um, Francesco Ricci coming in to shut the fuck up on Jake Bostich, hopefully. Um, one of the biggest fights on the card, Britton Hart and Christine Ferreira, fighting for the women's 125 pound belt. Finally, um, that one promises to be very fucking interesting. Um, probably one of the biggest fights on the card in name only will be the debut of Chad Mendez into BKFC taking on the fighter they refer to as Fames. Uh, just bad, 
bad fucking matchup, but it is going to be a fight. Um, and the good thing about that fight is that is fucking weird and unexciting as I'm anticipating it being, it will lead into one that is almost guaranteed to be exciting. Uh, aluminum Mike Perry himself taking on Julian. Let me bang my head against the wall, bro lane. Um, just two of the absolute greatest embodiments of dumb as fuck bare knuckle brawlers getting to finally get in the cage and bare knuckle brawl. Like you could not pick two greater fucking personifications of dumbass fist fighters than Julian Lane and Mike Perry. And they're going to let these fucking goofballs fight. I don't think he could have put that any any better. His that is literally the epitome of my IQ is just high enough to not be considered special needs. So all I know how to do is fight because I don't have a high enough IQ to do anything intellectually. <laughs> so not to mention, this is where I was talking about earlier, where there possibly could be bats involved. I'd, yeah, that the press conference was fucking crazy. And if that's any indication, although I will say the fight on that card I'm most looking forward to is the Britain Law fight. I think this is that point where she finally gets the title she fucking deserves because that girl fights harder than anyone in BKFC. Uh, well, I any damn near anyone in BKFC. There are fucking few male fighters in BKFC that fight harder than her, but not fucking many. That girl comes to fucking hurt people. And she can use her distance control like she has been. I think she's I think she's got a real, real good chance of bringing fucking brand new gold home. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, you know, in skin in two golds in the same household. Fuck. <laughs> right. That's and I tell you what, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination trying to say that it's because she married Joey Beltran. But if ever there was a fucking relationship that gives you the best fringe benefits your career could ask for, this is the Rose Namajunas Pat Barry of BKFC. Yeah. As a fucking whole, oh, except for Beltran still fighting. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Except Beltran still active. Yeah. But yeah. same, totally yeah, <laughs> same, same style situation, different fucking style of sport. But yeah. I, I love it, man. I think she's got the greatest chance to take that fucking belt and do work with it. As long as she can stay at range like she's been doing, you see her social media, she's been working on her fucking hands, staying sharp. Like, she's not taking this lightly. She's taking this fight very seriously. So, no, it's going to be she, interesting. She is one bad motherfucker, though. Man, yeah. can, yeah, she man can she throw fists. Fuck yeah. Yeah, and she ain't afraid to get in there and take one to give one, either. Not to mention, she... I, I think the greatest thing was she laid out the my still my favorite fight. It was watching her beat the brakes off of Paige Van Zandt. She's saying it's a completely different ball game from fucking MMA on um, Princess. Here you go, Paige, and then Rachel. Yep, sent both them fucking bitches running. But the only one after that is the main event, uh, which I think is ironically getting probably the least press of any fight on that goddamn card. And it's a fucking title fight around which they built the card. Literally, 
the 155 pound belt is on the goddamn line. Palomino putting it up against Brown. Brown's been talking a lot of shit, but hasn't really been showing like he's putting the work in like Palomino does. I'm not the biggest Palomino fan in the world, but you cannot deny the work that that motherfucker puts in. He definitely earned that belt and is putting the work in to try and keep it. So we'll, we'll see if he is able to come Saturday evening. Uh, that being said, um, kicking off, ironically, strangely early for some fucking reason at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central is the UFC Vegas 48 prelims. Unfortunately, in my opinion, this is probably the weakest of the three cards overall. Um, the biggest fight on the prelims, in my opinion, uh, was the Khalid Taha versus Mario Batista fight, which is now a Jay Perrin versus Mario Batista fight. Um, none of the fights are, are ranked on the prelims uh, for good reason. Um, even the premier prelim fight just doesn't really hold much interest at all. Um, I will say three-fifths of the main event or the main card has me interested. Um, the opening fight, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan versus Joaquin Buckley. That has potential. It has potential. That's what I'll give it. Potential. That's that's I'm, I'm, yeah, it. I'm not saying I'm excited about it. I'm saying it has potential. I'm just saying we've seen both of those guys trip over their own fucking dick. Yes. More than once. However, yes, there's every possibility they could do it against each other as well. Yep. Although they've also been known to show some wild fucking highlights and they could also show that against one another too. So, I mean, it's why I say slight potential, and I say slight because I I don't want to hype it up to the point of, yeah, you should watch this fight because to be honest, I can't, I can't guarantee anything out of that one. I agree as well. Um, that being said, um, the one fight I am willing to say I am genuinely tuning into this card to watch and am excited to see Jim fucking Miller. Um, best of luck, Nicholas Mota. I wish you the greatest chance in your debut because you're going to fucking need it. You're stepping in against one of the most grizzled season motherfuckers the UFC has to throw at you. And Dana White and Mick Maynard were not doing you any goddamn favors when they sent you this fucking contract. They knew Nick was going to tear. Jim was going to take this fucking fight. This was a matter of Nick being willing to make his debut against a bad motherfucker or sit on the shelf for a while longer and wait for them to find him a good fight. Credit to Nicholas Moda. He was like, fuck it. Here's my John Hancock. Let's do the damn thing. I don't think it's going to end well for him but I, I admire his tenacity. Yeah, and that's that's a rough fucking first entry, especially coming in off of the Contender Series. Dude, that's... Yeah, you're used to fighting fucking pizza delivery guys, and now you've got to fight Jim fucking Miller with a chip on his shoulder? Yeah. That's a scary dude. Look, and... For those of you who follow Jim Miller's social medias, don't think that because he posted shit, a lot of shit about being a family man or fucking doing talking about his cookbook and shit, that that motherfucker ain't taking this seriously. Because oh yeah, oh he yeah. takes every one of these seriously. There's a reason why he's been around the <laughs> as long as he has. 
and that's a tall task for a fucking new guy. It really is. And you're literally asking him to climb Mount Everest with nothing but a pair of fucking hiking shoes and some shorts. Not even a t-shirt at this point. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's a, that's a tall order. Best of luck to him. I don't think he gets done. That's what I said. Really I, I, up his... I admire your tenacity, but I don't think he got much of a chance. What I don't understand is how in the fucking world do the Vegas odds makers still have Nicholas as the favorite? The favorite, right now? yeah. I saw um, that. That look, that's like saying let's put two and two together and come up with porta potty full of shit. That's literally the answer they gave. I have a funny feeling that's based off of the lack of knowledge of what to think about Nicholas Mota in Vegas. I have a feeling tomorrow when they do the weigh-ins and then the face-offs and people see, oh, shit, this dude's in way over his fucking head. Those Vegas odds might start to teeter a little bit in the other direction. It's just weird to see that even from the get-go. There's something fucking wrong there. I mean, don't get me wrong. Right now, right now is the time to bet on Jim Miller. That's what I'm saying. That money down. Yeah. Yeah. You got a spare 10 bucks. Now's the time to throw that motherfucker on DraftKings or whatever your fucking betting choice is. (laughs) Yeah. And that's where you're going to make it. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely worth a watch there. Yep. (sighs) That being said, though, um, the only other fight on this card that I'm genuinely even the slightest bit interested in is the main event. Um, and it's not even so much because of who is in the main event, but the circumstances of this main event. Uh, UFC Vegas 48 will now be headlined, <clears throat> excuse me, by Johnny Walker versus Jamal Hill. This is kind of like the embodiment of what we call the the pay-per-view hangover card syndrome. Like they took all the fights that anyone gave much of a shit about watching and had them last weekend. And the shit that's overflow or couldn't get ready in time or just had to go somewhere contractually kind of got overflowed onto this card here that being said uh i am genuinely very curious to see how jamal hill can handle the craziness that is johnny walker because while he can be a a bit disorganized i think is a good way to describe johnny's style he also is a legitimate brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and an accomplished one at that um Jamal Hill's not really the greatest striker, but he does have decent wrestling and he does have a decent ground game. With the exception of the fact that we haven't really seen him try and use that ground game against the black belt. We've seen Johnny have good striking, but not great striking. And Jamal Hill might not have the best defense, but he's got a pretty good chin. So stylistically, 
this one matches up to be pretty interesting. I don't know that it's going to be the most exciting fight on the card, but it, it stylistically matches up pretty interesting, in my opinion. Yeah, not to mention Johnny Walker is kind of a loose cannon in the fucking cage because you never know what the fuck is going to come out of him. That's Absolutely. why he ended up injuring himself in a fucking post-fight celebration. Right. He's fucking up a bit of a loose cannon. So there is that going for it. I mean, it's interesting in the way how this actually came to fruition because there was actually a different main event on this card at one point, which mm-hmm. just got pushed off to a different pay-per-view, which, whatever. I'm okay with that fight going to a pay-per-view. It was pay-per-view worthy. But, um, yeah, definitely a hangover card. You know, there was a second where I got excited about a, a Dawkus on the fucking fight card, and then I realized, oh, it's Kyle Dawkus. Wrong, I, wrong Dawkus. I did the same goddamn thing. Oh, I, all right. I literally I, did the same thing. I'm like, ooh, Dawkus is back. And then oh, I realized it's, it's Kyle, and it's, yeah. it's, it's the little Dawkus, which... Right. Okay, that is what it is, but he's been a, a flip flopper. The other yeah. one that piqued my interest slightly, and I say slightly, was to see how Parker Porter comes back. Yeah. Because he looked like he had some potential at heavyweight. He did. Uh, my only concern about that is that Alan Budo isn't really anything more than another fucking heavyweight soup can that they're throwing at him to see how he rebounds, in my opinion. I really don't feel like Budo has anything really to threaten him. I feel like if anything, this is the UFC given Parker, here's your fucking gimme fight. Use it, beat the fuck out of this guy who's never seen anything tougher than a soup can and get your shit back on track. Well, see, and that's the weird thing where I look at it is because I'm going, and I'm calling it, a, it, maybe I'm calling this the wrong way, but I'm still calling it as a round <laughs> fight because Look, he was do- he was doing decent, and he got fucking trucked over by the other Dawkins. Right. Then his last yeah. two fights that he's had were against a fucking relatively unknown Parisian, and then he beat up Sherman as Sherman looked like he was gonna start and turn in the corner. So I mean. I can't really call either one of those a a real good turnaround because both of those were decision fights and he didn't show anything that said, Oh my God, he's got that potential back is after he got knocked out by Dawkins, he just hasn't looked right. So I still see it as a turnaround fight for him, but I I can see that it it was, it was just kind of a peaked interest just because I want to see where he's at. Right, yeah, see how he, how he recovers. And I'm not telling anybody to watch that fight. By all means, if you want to get <laughs> up and get popcorn, that is one of those fucking fights to go use the pisser, grab a fucking another beer. Yeah, whatever fucking, the case get, may be. Go cook some popcorn. You're not going to miss a whole lot, I don't think, in that fight. Unless you're somebody who is legitimately into its martial arts and you're kind of a diehard, then watch it. But otherwise, no. I know I'll watch it just because I'm. I want to see how Porter is evolved a bit. Right. I mean, granted, like I said, Alan, not the greatest guy in the world to be fucking making that judgment against, but you can always tell. You can it'll tell give, by it'll the give you an idea, I think. Yeah. It'll give you an idea on where they're at. But yeah, you nailed that on the head as far as the three the three fights that are worth watching. And I, they're again air quotes in there. Right. Um, <laughs> the Buckley, also, also on, definitely Jim Miller, without a doubt. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get to watch him walk the new puppy, um, which is going to be fun. And then uh, the Walker and Hill, you got to watch just because that right there, part of it isn't because of the matchup itself of Hill and Walker, but because of where they're at in the rankings, because they're right at on the, they're both around that 10 spot. I think it's 10 so 20, yeah. it can give either one of them a springboard kind of into that next area, which that, that's worth the watch to see what might happen in that between, I say, six and 10 area fight next, you know? I completely agree. I completely agree. But yeah, to be honest, this is they're probably one of the worst hangover cards we've had in a while. Yeah, no, that's 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 why I said between the three quote unquote major cards going on all this Saturday, uh, you could collectively cherry pick out of the three of them and make a full decent event. But in trying to do that, you're gonna have to do a little channel changing this weekend to keep all the good fights on. That being said. There are some good fights you can see this weekend. You're just going to have to do a little flipping around to get to them. But with that said, that is all we've got for this particular episode here. So I do want to thank everybody, whether you are watching this live over here on youtube.com slash I'm no Joe, or whether you're catching this the week after we air it over on anchor.fm slash I'm no Joe through your podcast consumption platform of choice. I want to thank you just the same. We appreciate each and every one of you who come back, stick around and tell your friends about us. Uh, That being said, if you do like what we do around here, hit that thumbs up, make sure you are subscribed and your notification bell on whatever site you are consuming this is hit. So you don't miss an episode of this. And uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, YouTube doesn't give a shit about thumbs up or thumbs down anymore. All YouTube cares about is watching more videos. So if you like what we do, watch some more videos. We don't mind the thumbs up, but on that same token, if you don't like what we're doing, first off, what the fuck are you doing this deep into the podcast? You can give us the thumbs down. We won't dispute that. And then you can fuck off. That being said, if you do want to support what we get up to around here, the best way to do it is patreon.com slash I'm no Joe gives you access to the behind the scenes, the unaired and literally the unairable footage that we have gotten up to around here. And I'm no Joe. And it just really makes our life a little bit easier. Gets you a little thank you at the end. It's all nice. Everybody wins. But that being said, we're going to call that all for this particular episode. All the socials, all the links, all for everybody's, all the good stuffs are all down in the description, as well as the scrolling Discord bar along the bottom. You can join us. We do literally talk shit live during the fights. Ask Dylan, he'll verify it. Uh, we also have the link to our new Reddit, subreddit. That's what it is, subreddit. Uh, the I'm No Joe subreddit is officially a thing. Feel free to drop, stop by, drop some memes, talk some shit, what have you. We're watching them, but that being said, that is all we've got for this particular episode. Golf T, you got anything on the way out here, brother? No, no. Come hang out with us again. If you don't like us, fuck off. Don't care. Absolutely. That being said, that's all we've got for this particular episode. So remember, folks, don't let ignorance stop you. You can root for anything. Unless it's RJ making it back, apparently. Everybody was kung fu.
fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. How do I say goodbye to what?